This is Positively Mental, sponsored by Fremont Counseling. Fremont Counseling wants to remind everyone that one of the keys to mental health is a good and open relationship with your primary doctor. In addition to their medical screenings and treatment, primary care doctors should be involved with all aspects of health, including mental health. Talk to your primary doctor about screenings for depression and other mental health concerns and they can help create a well-rounded treatment plan, including counseling. You can call Fremont Counseling in Lander at 332-2231 or Riverton at 856-6587 or look up their information at fremontcounseling.com. Exploring mental health and the human mind one episode at a time. This is the Positively Mental Podcast. From the Porter's 10Cast studio, here's professional counselor Lance Godey. Hello everyone, I'm Lance Godey here in the Porter's 10Cast studio and this is Positively Mental. I would like to welcome you to the fourth installment of my podcast. I intend to focus on mental health, not just from an instructional perspective, but also from a positive approach whenever possible. So, this week, I'd like to focus on a specific population of folks and the mental health needs, concerns, and issues that they struggle with. That group is women. Um, But I really don't come at this from a particular good perspective because I'm not a woman. Uh, So, I think it's great to have a couple of guests here that uh, are going to be able to enlighten us a little bit more. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some background. Um, Mental disorders can affect women and men differently. Uh, Some disorders are more common in women, such as depression and anxiety. There are also certain types of disorders that are unique to women. For example, some women may experience symptoms of mental disorders at times of hormone change, such as postpartum depression, and perimenopause-related depression. When it comes to other mental disorders, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, research has not found differences in the rates at which men and women experience these illnesses. But women may experience experience these illnesses differently, and certain symptoms may be more common in women than in men, and the course of the illness can be affected by the gender of the individual. Researchers are now, just now, beginning to tease apart the various biological and psychosocial factors that may impact the mental health of both women and men. In 2017, there were an estimated 46.6 million adults aged 18 or older in the United States with any mental illness. This number represented 18.9% of all U.S. adults. And the prevalence of any mental illness was higher among women, 22.3%, than men, 15.1%. So I'm excited to have two guests in the studio today, especially since talking about mental health in women is pretty difficult from my perspective as a male. Uh, We need to hear from a female, and my first guest in this podcast fits the bill. She is Tara Thomas Carr, a resident of Riverton and, uh, full disclosure, a good friend of mine. When I was considering topics for my podcast, she asked me about women's mental health right away and went so far as to volunteer herself to come talk to us. She is courageous enough to come share about her own 
history with mental health struggles, and I just have to thank her so much for being here. So welcome to Positively Mental, Tara, and thank you for joining me here on my podcast. Well, thank you for having me as a guest. I'm happy to be here and share my experiences with you. So we're here to talk about women's mental health struggles specifically. Um, I'm wondering if you can share with us what your history is and how, um, you know, mental health struggles have affected you. Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm going to talk about my journey through anxiety and depression today, and I'm hoping that by sharing this experience, other women know that they are not alone and they can reach out to other people, and hopefully they won't make the mistakes that I did and make sure that it, <clears throat> it gets treated faster than sure. ra- sooner rather than later. <clears throat> Excuse me. Looking back on my life, I think I've always had anxiety. Um, I was one of those kids that never stopped until I had to stop and then I crashed. And looking back on that, I think that was a symptom of anxiety. I just had so much energy. I didn't know what to do with myself, and I stopped, and I had thoughts, and I couldn't. I didn't know what to do with the thoughts. And so I think this is something that I'm learning recently, that this has been a lot, a lifelong struggle for me, is, is living with anxiety. Um, this pattern of behavior has with, been with me my whole life, and um, I'm still trying to find balance with it today. Downtime feels very, very uncomfortable for me. Mm. Um, my struggle with depression came on later in life, in my 30s. Um, The catalyst for this was an abusive relationship. It was short-lived, but I put my child and myself um, in a very bad situation. After the relationship ended, I felt like I should have seen the signs. I felt a lot of guilt and shame because I exposed my child to some things he probably shouldn't have seen. Um, But instead of dealing with that, I stuffed all those feelings inside, and um, I continued to throw myself into work and activities. That's something that has always worked for me. Just stay busy, don't think, don't think. Um, Except this time, it didn't work. And uh, the shame I felt wasn't going away. And the self-talk in particular that I was having about myself, you're a bad mom, you're a terrible parent, look what you did, you're not worth anything. Um, That became just overwhelming in in my head. Um, and I started to feel very worthless. I began having suicidal ideation, um, which is hard to talk about, but I did have thoughts of harming myself. I didn't know what to do with the poor, the self-talk that I was having with myself. I didn't know what to do. You're worthless. Look what you've done. And all of that shame. Um, it was very, very self-destructive. Um, I've always been generally a upbeat, happy person. I think people who know me know that I'm relatively positive, and so I really didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't realize, I couldn't understand why I just couldn't pull myself up by the bootstraps and move forward and get on with it. Um, that was very, very difficult for me, um, trying to understand why I couldn't just power through it. Um, I've since found that this is a very, very common um, situation that people feel like what's wrong with me I should just get past that and there's some things in life that you do need help with and you do need to ask for help um, and this was just one of those times um, some you know I depression doesn't work like that you you think that you can just tell your mind that it can do it and you can get just get through it and depression your brain chemistry doesn't work that way um, sometimes you do need help my life was getting pretty dark um, Things started to suffer. It was all I could do to get up in the morning and go to work. Um, It was hard to get my son to school. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't showering regularly. Um, But I was slapping on a happy face and making sure that that people didn't know how dark and dreary I was. And I, I, I call this time in my life the dark time 
because it was just black. There was no, nothing brought me joy, not my child, not my work. Um, and, it, and it was very frightening for me. I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it. Um, so the one thing that I did, and this continued for over a year. So I tried to power through this by myself for over a year. Um, and I made the decision that changed my life, and I asked for help. And I told someone how I was feeling about how much pain I was feeling inside and that I didn't want to live anymore and how frightened I was and I needed help. And it really seems like a lot of people out there, I, I would say, typically go through that exact same thing, is that the, the emotions, the experiences just become more and more and more and more till something kind of breaks and, and they hopefully ask for help or they have a breakdown or something. Somehow they're prepared now to... Uh, do something, to do something about it. So what did you do to address the the struggles when you were at that point? Well, I reached out to somebody who I felt safe with, and, and I asked for help. I said, this is, I've been this way for a very long time. I don't know what to do. I, I can't go on anymore this way. Um, I immediately felt a sense of relief, um, and I felt hope for the first time in, you know, a year. I felt hope. Um, I was able to get into counseling, and I was in counseling for just about two years. And at first it was several times a week. And it was interesting. I had to work through a lot of things that I didn't know were there. You know, I mean, things from childhood, things, shame. Um, shame was a big thing for me, especially some of the situations that I'd put my child in. And that was a very hard thing for me to overcome was the shame of that. You know, I should have known better. I should have been a better parent. Yeah, we, um, we always laugh that we should all over ourselves. <laughs> I was shitting all over myself, <laughs> yeah. hardcore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't take medication for the depression. Um, I understand how important that can be, and that's a choice that you make with your provider. Um, that was something that I felt that just wasn't in my cards at that time. Um, each person is different in an individual, so your healthcare professional can kind of make that determination with you. Um, at the beginning of treatment, I had to make very small goals um, and try to achieve them. As an example, each day I would say to myself, I'm going to get in the shower. And then it became, I'm going to go for a walk. And pretty soon these little wins, along with counseling, I started to feel more and more like myself, and I started to feel hope. Um, and I gained a lot of skills um, during that time working with my counselor on how to deal with shame, how to deal with issues in my life, how to positively overcome obstacles and not, um, you know, just automatically think that I was the reason that those obstacles were happening and I could have done something differently. Sure. And, you know, I think that's a good point that a lot of people don't recognize is that you don't know what you don't know. So as soon as you ask about things that you don't know about and are given some tools in the toolbox, all of a sudden you have this oh, I could do this when confronted with this instead of just, I have no idea what to do. I've never been taught how to do this. So now that I know that there are some options, I can do those things. Right, exactly. So a very simple one that I'll share with you is HALT, which is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so if I was feeling emotions that were um, negative, I would ask myself, okay, HALT, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Or are you tired? And just looking back on that, that said, okay, I'm hungry. Let's get some food. And so it gave me some tools that I could just kind of self-reflect, take a step back, and not just be in the moment of those feelings. You bet. So maybe tell, tell our listeners about why you asked to share about what 
is a very personal subject. I mean, whether you're male or female, it doesn't really matter. This is an area that that is part of the reason why I kind of am doing this podcast is to really demystify and and help people understand the maybe the normalcy of of these uh, experiences for people. Um, but for you, why why did you agree to to share? So what I've realized as I've gotten older is that I'm not alone. Almost every single one of my friends has had a situation that they didn't know how to handle, they didn't know how to deal with. They've been exactly where I have been. But the common denominator is none of us knew that we were going through that. None of us shared that experience with one another. And as I get older, I realize how important it is if you're struggling to just share that. Even a a talk over coffee with a friend is very beneficial and making sure that people, you're not alone. You're not alone in your struggles. We all go through these things. It may be different. It may manifest differently, but we all have struggles in life. Life isn't just, you know, a straight line. It's kind of curvy. It's very messy. (laughs) It is very messy. And so I want people to know that you can share these experiences and you can move forward from them and you can become a better person because of them. Um, You know, one of the things that my counselor shared with me that has stuck with me more than anything is that if you serve others, you will always be okay. And I took that to heart because if I'm sharing, you know, if I'm serving others, then I'm outside of myself and I'm not worried about my issues. I'm helping others find, you know, resolution to theirs. And that's, a, that's for personally, that's been very beneficial for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think both men and women um, have tremendous pressures put on them in society these days. I um, Something that is bothering me recently is, you know, you have the Facebook life. So you post this perfect picture of what your life is. But there's always that underneath surface, and everybody has that underneath surface. And so what you see um, maybe isn't what really is going on. And so I, I caution people to really reach out and get help and to talk to somebody. Because what you see, you know, you can compare that and say, oh, that why, they have such a great life. Why isn't mine that great? Well, I'm here to tell you that my life is great, but it's, you know, I still struggle. I struggle with anxiety every single day. Um, I'm going to be struggling that I've got tools in my toolbox, but it's right. not something that goes away. Right, right. Um, it, it's, it's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I just have to remember to go back to the tools that I have. Right. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about recommendations, some things that, that you've done. Um, other, other things that that you would recommend for people struggling with depression, anxiety, other mental health issues? Talk to somebody. Um, Call a hotline. They get you resources. Resources are so important. Um, Make sure that somebody knows. If you're in a situation where you feel suicide, like you're going to, you know, reach out, reach out. Just say, I need some help. Um, It's so dark, but there is hope. I'm here to tell you that there's hope. Um, I just, it, it's changed my life. The counseling that I had has truly changed my life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, recognizing that, you know, emotional states are always a part of us and, and, and recognizing that sadness, depression, anxiety, worry, stress, all of those things are a part of who we all are. Um, it's when they become overwhelming that we have the opportunity to, hopefully examine and take some actions to um, kind of do something differently um, if we know what that is. If you don't necessarily know because you've never been trained to know or because you're kind of um, 
not in control. A lot of times, you know, whether it's brain chemistry or certain circumstances in life that are outside of your control, um, those things can really take a, a, a hit on your emotional state. They absolutely can. And, and something else that I want to point out is that asking for help is not a weakness. It is absolutely a brave thing to do. And it is a, an act of self-care. It's the bravest thing I think anybody can do is just to say, I need help. I cannot do this by myself. Everybody at one time in, in their lives will need some help. And the point is making sure that you get that help before it gets to a point where you are in that black place and you can't dig yourself out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned anxiety for you and, and, and how that's, you know, has a tendency to rear its ugly head at times. I think perhaps a number of listeners um, also struggle with the same thing. Any particular things in the anxiety realm for you that really seem to work for you? So I'm a runner, and I began running again because of my anxiety, and that's something that's been very beneficial for me. Also, um, there's a breathing technique that you do, and so when I get in those moments, I tend to wake up with anxiety. It just, there's no rhyme or reason for it. My heart's beating rapidly. My head, I get stuck on a thought, and I recognize now, though, that that is anxiety. It's, it's going to be there, so what can I do about it? And I'll do a, a breathing exercise where I'll breathe in for five seconds, hold it, and then breathe out for five seconds, and I do it about ten times, and that really tends to kind of reset my brain a little bit. Um, I tell people when I have anxiety, um, running for me though, that's my outlet. It's a positive thing. And so that's something that I do. And it just kind of clears the cobwebs for me. Um, I think that there's kind of a brain chemistry response to that as well. Um, that really helps me out. So that's one of the ways that I deal with that. And I think, you know, you bring up a good point is, is doing something that's enjoyable, something that releases endorphins in your brain that kind of counteract that, whether it's the anxiety, whether it's the depression, those are have a tendency to be chemical reactions going on. And you can influence those uh, chemical reactions by doing something, even if it's a little something, uh, a breathing exercise changes your chemistry, uh, doing getting outside, just you mentioned it early on is just getting up and setting small goals, just going to take a shower and then rewarding yourself for the fact that you did that. Right. You set a goal, you did it. And that's becomes a habit that perpetuates and you just build on it a little bit at a time, every little time. Um, what happens when you have setbacks? What, uh, what do you do to deal with setbacks? Well, it's funny. You should mention that because this past week I have had a setback. Um, what I tell myself is my brain is lying to me, mm. and um, my brain is lying. So that thought, you know, you're not good enough, you're not, you know, no, nobody likes you, all of those silly little things, my brain is lying to me. And so I ask somebody for validation and say, okay, this is the situation. Is this how you see the situation? And then they can tell me and put me in the right frame of mind, my brain is lying to me. And so then I can tell my brain, brain, you're lying to me. And that really helps me because it, it gives me power over the thoughts that I'm having. That's been a very beneficial um, sort of strategy that I've employed um, through my anxiety. Sometimes it's just I've got to walk. I've got to do something. And I know that that sounds kind of counterintuitive because anxiety, you do more. But if I just get out there and start breathing, maybe running, talking to somebody, um, that really does help. But your brain does lie to you. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a 
an epiphany um, for our session today is that um, to really remind the listeners that at sometimes uh, your brain is a liar. It's, it's sending signals, it's doing things that really are counterproductive to what's going on in, it, it's, it's lying to you. And I think that's a, an amazing way to think about that. And, but that the cool part is, is that you still are in control. So you can do things like asking friends, asking a counselor to verify, okay, this is what the brain's telling me. Is this real? Is this a, a, a true thing or a false thing? And then when you have enough people, even one or two trusted people that can give you the feedback to say, uh, this isn't right, that something's not right here, you can go, yep, brain, you're off. And we're going to do something about it. So we're going to go get outside. We're going to you know, go for a run. We're going to go play and do something enjoyable uh, to, to kind of counteract that lie. Right. Another thing that I've employed is that I, I do, um, I tell myself each morning, you're going to have a great day. You're, you're going to take this day by storm. You know, you're, you're great, you're smart. And these sorts of things help my brain, those lies mm-hmm. that my brain is telling me, it helps me kind of counteract that. Yep. You know, it's kind of a, a Jedi mind trick that I right. play with my right. brain. Absolutely. Positive <laughs> affirmations are a huge help uh, for people. Um, it, the old uh, Saturday Night Live, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, and gosh darn it, <laughs> people, people like, like me. me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's absolutely not only just something to that, research says there's something to that. You can rewire your brain and basically tell your brain to quit lying to you by training it on how to do it differently. Positive affirmations are absolutely that, right. one of those techniques. You know, another thing that I do is if I get a, a thought stuck in my head, let's say I'm driving down the road, I focus on the mountain, and I say, the mountain is beautiful, and I keep telling myself that, and I just redirect my brain to something else, and it typically passes for me. So that's something that neuroscience is showing, that if you can redirect that thought right. to something else, yep. you, it gets you out of that thought. And, I, and I'm also practicing that as well. Yep. It's, it's the interference of that habit. Bad habits are good habits. If you're trying to build good habits, but you, all you got seem like everywhere you look are bad habits, is interrupting them right. in some way. It's, it's, that's a huge aspect of that interruption causes an opportunity for you to go in a different direction. Right. And that's what you've said several times today, which is, is a great concept, is this, that do something little to interrupt the bad habit. And all of a sudden, it leaves you open to the possibility of a new direction. Right. And, you know, I, I recognize now that this is going to be a lifelong thing. I, don't, I think at one time I thought, oh, I'm just going to be cured of my anxiety. I, I don't believe that I'm wired that way now. I believe that that's just not a logical conclusion to the way that my anxiety manifests for me. But I do know that I have a tool set. And if I need more tools, I know who to contact. I know who to get a hold of. And I, I work on these things every single day. Yep. Yep. Looking for um, trusted people in your life. Look for those trusted people. It's family. It's friends. It's professionals, whoever they are that you can reach out to and ask for um, some guidance and some feedback and, and those trusted those trusted people are going to be a big part of your life. And once again, I, I just want to reiterate that it is very brave to be able to say, I need help. And it is an act of self-care. And it is not a failing. You are not failing as a person. You are actually being incredibly brave. And that shows that you are trying to make a change right. to get better. Right. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much, Tara, for sharing so much of your personal life. It's certainly not easy to share uh, personal things, uh, and I admire your courage in doing so, and I appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. If by sharing my story I help one person, it will be worth it. So thanks for having me on. You bet. Thank you. So we are now going to transition to my second guest. Barb Rogers is the author of A Borrowed Address, A True Story of Homelessness, Depression, and Family Secrets, uh, a book uh, that's been out for a bit, uh, not too awful long, though, I think. Uh, Welcome, Barb, to Positively Mental. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, how long has the book been out now? Well, the e-book came out in late 2018. Oh, okay. And the hard or the paperback has only been out for about six months. Right. Okay. So the title of your book uh, tells us a lot about what's inside of it. But can you provide the listeners a little bit more about the book and the people in it? Okay. The subtitle of the book is A True Story of Homelessness, Depression, and Family Secrets. And if you get a chance to, to look at the cover of the book on Amazon, or it's now available at Mr. D's and Lander also, oh, uh-huh. what I'd like to point out is um, there's a reason for the items that are on the front cover. And the bike was Nate's. Nate is my cousin. Mm-hmm. And the bike was his only way of transportation. He had um, some... Um, problems with alcohol abuse and had a few DUIs and that was what what he went everywhere on. Sure. The mailbox was his only way of communicating with me. He did not have a phone and so we wrote letters back and forth. Mm-hmm. The stargazer lily is was one of his favorite flowers and he used to grow that in his mom's garden. And the cat that's near the bike Um, was his best friend. Mm -hmm. So that kind of tells a lot about the story right there. So what what was the the gist of of telling this story? What what kind of motivated you? Well, um, I I don't think maybe I would have written my story had it not been for Nate. He was... um, he didn't get past high school. He um, had gotten himself into a little bit of trouble in high school, and he went to work for a lumber company, and so he made decent money. But he um, he didn't he didn't have sometimes real good common sense, and he ended up in some trouble. And the um, so much of what he wrote about his addictions and his um, issues and his family, problems in his family, it reminisced, it just, it actually almost paralleled my own family Uh in many ways. Um, We had some secrets in our family that were not divulged for a very long time. And so we would write back and forth and talk about a little bit of this. And I mostly tried to let him do the the talking about his life and how he screwed it up and um, his taking care of his mom because there was no other, um, no no one else to do it. Mm-hmm. 
So he had to quit his job in order to take care of her. And so when she passed, he was without a job and had very little to account for. Mm -hmm. And the next letter he wrote to me was, um, you, might, you may not be able to reach me at this address any longer because it looks like I'm going to be evicted. Um, didn't have the money to pay the rent, and a, his, the best thing that happened to him was a neighbor that had been a neighbor of he and his mom's for years offered her garage to be his home. He had a small um, area in the garage, but he had a microwave, and he had a, an electric blanket, and so he could heat things up. He could heat up soup, and he could stay warm. He had his cat, which was the most important thing to him. Um, he did not have running water, so he had to bike to the park fairly often. So um, that's how we started to to get back to knowing each other. Sure, sure. So, you know, as the personal aspects of this story, as I was reading through it, um, I true um, full disclosure, I finished it yesterday. Uh, I had an opportunity okay. to get it started, read through the whole thing. and and But I think from a, I could certainly identify from Nate as a male mm -hmm. um, and maybe some of the things that he would go through, the pressures that he would feel, the, the history, things like that from that man's perspective. What about from a woman's perspective, um, from your perspective and maybe that would get to some of the motivations about why you wrote this is, you know, what for yourself um, uh, from that perspective affected you personally rel related to either homelessness or depression or family secrets as they were referenced in the book? Okay. When Nate died, I asked his um, landlady, landlord, if she would send me my letters back. And it, it took me a year to pick them up again because it, it had been difficult to, to have him be in such a mess and, and, and died because of it. But from my point of view, it was just, it reminded me so much of my own family. We had um, secrets, we had suicides in our family and trying to make sense of that or trying to to get it out was very important to me because I was keeping too much in and um, I don't think that's healthy at all so right so it's interesting that that in your attempts to support Nate that in the end Nate was very supportive of you and really helped you make some changes and some transformations in your life. That is so true. Yeah. And the, and the book itself was kind of cathartic in that, in mm -hmm. that way that, yeah. that being able to kind of put it together, tell his story, helped you touch into your story. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so it, it's an, an interesting perspective, I think really trying to make that connection, uh, for, for yourself, um, any, anything in particular that, that really resonated for you in, in writing this book that from, maybe from that woman's perspective, today we're, we're kind of looking at, at 
that mental health issues from a woman's perspective? Is there anything that is particularly, um, I don't know, that has come to you as a result of this that, um, that you can share? Well, I think so. Um, I was the only girl in a family of five. Um, I, I could say as a child, as a young person, I was pretty much a tomboy. I did what my brothers did and, and had close friends. Um, I really couldn't, you know, there were, there was secrets early on that I didn't feel good about or, or that I could say anything to anybody. And it's, I don't, I don't know if it's, um, if it's strictly a, a women's, a woman's perspective that I can, Mm -hmm. that I can really offer, but, um, it was my way of sharing my feelings and getting things out and getting to a point of healing. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Nate never got to that point where he just kind of, he reached out to you and you were kind of his his safe haven, his counselor, his the person that he reached out to. Um, do you think in the end, and, and I would hopefully not entirely um, ruin the book for for any of our listeners who want to go out but he he did not die of of suicide or anything he no a, a natural causes death well very poor health but yeah um but do you think do you think you know there was in who you know you've reached out or you've learned something from your experiences with nate um you know why what what was different for you than maybe for nate well, a lot of it, I had su- a supporting family. Yeah. That was, that was huge. And I have shared my story with my family. Had, for a while, it didn't go much further than that, and not because I would have been upset if it had. It just wasn't in the timing for me for that to, to come forward with it. But, right. um, yeah, he, he, made, he pretty much made it happen. Right. And, and I, I think, you know, our previous uh, guest, um, and you're saying this exact same thing, is, is, is reaching out, finding people that, that will help you. Nate found you and stayed connected with you through all of those years. Um, your, your story talks about even as, as young youngsters, you ha- had a bit of a connection and, on, and, and stayed connected. You were close, to, close in age. So that mm-hmm. was certainly part of it. Usually as children, we play with the ones that are closest to us in age. Um, but the key seemed to be for me is that that um, he reached out to you and you provided all that you could provide for him to keep him as, you know, as positively motivated. You, you, you were a touchstone for him to kind of keep him. You had a, he had a purpose along with um, his cat, I mm-hmm. think, was a big part of it. Uh, his even his mom at the time until she passed was a big part of of motivation. He needed motivation. He needed something to keep doing, but he reached out. He reached yes. out and asked for help and and um, and had a trusted uh, people he could trust. He trusted you, um, and that that's a I think a, a theme that I've 
we've talked about earlier uh, in, in our podcast, and it comes back up again, is that reach out to people that you trust. Right. And for sure. that's a big part of starting any kind of asking for help is, is surround yourself by people you trust. Right. Uh, family members, uh, friends, professionals, whatever the case may be. Yes, yeah. for sure. Anything else that you'd like to, to share with the listeners, um, specifically about the book or any takeaways from the book that, that you want to really uh, emphasize? Well, um, I, I am just so thankful that I finally opened myself up to sharing. And it's, it's helped me heal for sure. Um, and the people that have written to me or texted me, called me, whatever, that have read the book have pretty positive feedback um, just it's like what will happen is they'll say, you know what, I also had trouble with the alcohol or I also lost family members by suicide. Mm-hmm. So it's, and, and it seems to be healing for them to get that out, right. to let go of that. And I think if we do that, we're just less likely to get in a spot where we, we're cornered. Right. We don't feel like we have a way out. Right, and and I, I mentioned this early earlier with with Tara. Um, you know, I think there's an that's part of the reason why I did I'm doing this. Like, is to to really provide an avenue in which people can share uh, and get it out not only to our county but to our state, to our nation, to our world. Like, I I'm hoping I'm aware of a few listeners outside of Fremont County. Uh, I know there's been some sharing of, of the podcast in a, in a broad audience. And, and I think that's a big part of demystifying is, is that we got to talk about stuff exactly to get it out there, whether it's writing a book about it, whether it's doing a podcast about it, whether it's sharing personal stories, the more we talk about those things, the more that other people out there that aren't sure if they're ready to talk about it, Yes. We'll step forward and yeah. talk about it. So I know that you had um, wanted to also talk about the the International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. Yes, that has become um, very important um, venue for me to to tell my story. Um, just before I, I did some. Um, research on if there was something locally is there is there a Wednesday night that you can go to the library and you can talk to people that have also lost um, relatives to suicide um, I called a number and the the lady that answered the phone said well we used to have those meetings but we quit because no one was coming I really need to get that out of the, the paper. But the fact that it was still in the paper and I reached out mm-hmm. and they asked me, um, first of all, if I could um, just get acquainted with, um, with Tana Groomsmith, who plays a part in the mm-hmm. Survivor for Suicide Last Day. And we did meet and we had a good visit and she was able to introduce me to other people 
And I'm going to backtrack just a little bit here. Mm-hmm. When I first started hearing about this and wanted to be a part of it to help in some way, one day I got on Facebook and my niece had pasted or had posted a Facebook on recognizing the suicide um, survivors of suicide loss day. Oh, okay. And then she talked about her depression. I had no idea. She's talking about her depression on Facebook. Mm. I could not talk about it for years. Right. So she she was a as a brave young lady and she realizes that she has something that may be handed down to her through genes. Right. And so she was very open about it and I thought that's the key. We need to get rid of the secrecy. We need to open up to people. We need to reach out and see what we can do to help. Right. And, and kind of in a full disclosure, I learned about you and the book from Tana. Uh, Tana Groom, okay. Groomsmith at uh, Fremont County Prevention had reached out to me uh, knowing that I had started this podcast and had said, you know, it would be, I think, Barb would be a great guest for you to have to talk about the book that she wrote, but also to just talk about that, again, the demystification of, of suicide mm-hmm. and, and that it's okay to talk about it. It's, 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 there are people out there that, that need to talk about this. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the things that lead up to it, the depression, the, the emotional states that, that lead to the ultimate, right. you know, that decision of, of taking one's life is, uh, there's a lot of lead up to that, but we've got to talk about it. And, yes. and, and, I, and sometimes it's hard to know what comes first, the depression, the alcoholism. Right. I mean, does it necessarily go hand in hand? Not always, of course, mm-hmm. but I think one sometimes leads to the other because it's um, they feel like they're either left out or that nobody understands or... I can't live the way I'm living. I, maybe I did something that just is, is haunting me. Right, right. But so that, that was a very, um, I was so glad she did that because that even helped me. Gotcha. It's like, hey, that's what we're doing. We're trying to get the word out. You bet, absolutely. And there was probably 30 people that showed up for the, um, the suicide loss day, and it was... Um, there were some people from the group home. There were um, people from Fremont Counseling, either retired or still working in it. Just and 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 several of them spoke a little bit about what their job is and how they try to to help people. And it was very. Um, I just enjoyed really knowing that there's all those people are out there. Right. So has the group started up again is that um that support group that is it possibly going to be is that something i don't know that? that that's a good question it's it's not just about having an ad in the paper you, yeah. you need more than that to right. get to get something really going but um the the neat thing about this was uh, my editor sheila newland she she called me this afternoon and said she went to church yesterday and several of the young people that had been to the um, lost day the day before came up to her in church and said, "I remember you. I saw you yesterday." Uh-huh. And she was she was quite surprised. And some of the the kids 
had a chance or had a, they did a drawing and they could either have a t-shirt, which everybody loves a t- new t-shirt, or they could have a book. I was surprised how many chose the book. I'll be darned. So I got to write their name in the book, and, uh-huh. and I hope, I'm hopeful that, that they'll take, a, take time to read it. You bet. That's great. So uh, if people are interested in reading uh, your book, where can they get it? You mentioned Mr. D's. Is that I, the only place in Fremont County? It is. Okay. Um, I've had, it's, there, we don't have bookstores hardly yeah, anymore, right. which is really, really sad. But um, I did, Joe Kinney's the one that said that's where he looked first for it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, then I better get some down there. So gotcha. Mr. D's in Lander. And also Amazon.com, and it's available either as an ebook for $2.99 or a paperback for $9.99. Okay, great. Well, I, I very much would endorse and encourage people to go out. Um, you just look for a borrowed address uh, and by Barbara L. Rogers. Uh, look for her and look for that book. It's well worth the... Um, it's well worth the read. I, I think it's uh, there's a that personal story to it is going to resonate with a lot of people that also have that depression, that homelessness, the addiction in their family. So I would encourage everybody to get out and read it. Uh, thank you, Lance. You bet. So uh, thanks so much, Barb, for coming and sharing your book and your personal story. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I end my podcast with a challenge on actions that you can take based on what we have talked about. So this week, here is my challenge. Consider this quote from Zig Ziglar. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Habits, both good and bad, start with a thought which leads to some words that reinforce that thought, which lead to action, which then leads to a habit. Anyone, everyone out there, consider a direction that you'd like to head in your life. That's your thought. Say some words that reinforce that thought, like, I can do this. I am powerful. I want to be better. Go out and act, even in little ways that reflect those words and thoughts. Then repeat over and over repeat research indicates that you can create a habit in 66 days so go out there and start a new positive habit you don't have to be great to start you just have to start and greatness will follow i want to thank you again for listening and if you know someone struggling with their mental health talk to them listen with an open mind and offer your support or call a professional Remember, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And remember, let's all be positively mental out there.